had to a long, long time ago, especially at my job, let go of needing to be liked in order to get what I needed. I'm going to need some tips from you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I had to decide, do you want to be liked or do you want to have an experience in the workplace where you feel safe, respected, understood, and heard? Hello and welcome to The Open Up. I'm Elliot Knight. Happy July. It is amazing to have you here. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1. I am thrilled that this is happening. It's been a long time in the making. And I'm just so, uh, so excited to share this very first episode with you because we are starting the podcast with a very, very special one. Every episode this season, the first thing that you're going to hear our guests say is how they identify. Before anything else, so that you can understand exactly who they are and how they fit into the world in their own words. So here is the answer of our guest today. Well, I guess I identify as a black American woman who is a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a friend, a really vulnerable human who's just trying to figure out, you know, what I'm doing here and what my value is and what I can add and in what spaces I can add it. I identify as someone whose motto in life is do no harm, take no shit. And I fail at those sometimes, but that is what I strive for. Candice Patton is a friend of mine who I met a few years ago, and you will probably know her as Iris West on The Flash. You'll also know that she's a truly gifted and very talented actor, and I can tell you she's a genuine and funny person, and she packs a powerful perspective and a valuable voice for her experiences in the entertainment industry. Right away, Candice shares with us that she's not usually comfortable doing recorded interviews or podcasts, which is why she hasn't done them before, and also why I was thrilled when she said yes to having a conversation with me for the Open Up back in 2020 that has now become our very first episode. This conversation with Candice covers everything right back to her casting in The Flash in 2014. And while that was definitely something to celebrate, it was also the beginning of a very difficult journey for her. She shares an insight into the bullying that she was victim to online and the difficulties of navigating a set environment at work where you don't feel comfortable or supported to the all too familiar struggle of trying to thrive as a black woman in Hollywood. The next hour is a truth of Candace Patton that no one has heard before, frankly, because she has never opened up about it before in this way. So I have to give props to Candace because she came to this conversation free and honest and brave, generous, and really embodying all the strength that she has carved out for herself through the experiences that she's had in her career. I am so grateful to her for opening up in such a big way. I think it's really going to be an asset to this show. It's amazing to begin the show with such a strong conversation. And now it's time to share those stories with you. Every episode this season, you're going to be a fly on the wall to the real conversation that I'm having with whoever our guest is. 
So we're going to drop into the conversation with Candice right after our hellos. So for one more time, thank you for being here. Welcome to The Open Up. This is Season 1, Episode 1. It's time to open up the TV industry with Candice Patton. I think I'm only nervous because I'm such a private person. Right. I actively choose not to share most of my life with the public. Um, and even like in my personal private life, like there's only a few people I share, mm. you know, intimate details with. So yeah. I'm just not a person who goes out there and it's like, you know, this is what's happening to me. This is all my business. It's all my tea. You know, so I'm always scared to like reveal myself, not even because I think people are gonna judge me, but because I have this thing of like, I don't wanna give myself to the wrong people. I only want certain people in my life to know me and have access to me. Mm. So when it comes to being a public figure, I'm very protective. Like, I don't I don't want everybody to know everything about me. That's mine, you know? How, I mean, how do you even do that? I think about that like just with social media and yeah. it makes it really complicated for me to know how to engage with people. Yeah. And also not feel like I'm giving every personal moment of my life away at random for free. Yeah. But being not just in this industry, but in the spotlight and at a level that you are, how is that a difficult relationship for you to balance wanting to hold on to your personal life and also uh, engage with a fan base or the industry? Yeah, it's really hard. Like, I, I want to show photos of my nieces and my nephew, but like, that's mine. They're, they're mine, right. you know, and I don't want everyone to have access to that. If you go to my Instagram, you know, I'm sure I seem like such a vain person because almost every photograph is like a picture of me. And yeah, just it's like me. A, a model's portfolio. It's insane. And I love I'm it. actually not that vain. It's just, it's the safest thing for me to share that I'm willing to share that doesn't give away too much about me. You know, it's like, it's mm -hmm. my face. You guys see it on TV every week and pe some people seem to like it. So it's like a win-win for me. It's like I'm sharing what people like, but I'm not really giving too much of myself away. How many of these have you done before? Or just like, I mean, Never. I interviews all the time, but podcasts? Never. I've been asked to do several podcasts and I've just never wanted to do it for that <gasps> reason because I'm just, you know, I, it's easier for me to sit here and have this conversation with you because we know each other and we're right. actually friends. And so I can be a little more comfortable. I'm um, so glad. But to sit here and, you know, talk about my thoughts and opinions with someone I don't really know has never really appealed to me. Right. Because I don't know what their agenda is. And I know with you you will protect Take me you and down. this is a safe space. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's so important that you get to have a space to talk freely. We all need that. I think people would often be surprised to see what comes out when that's offered rather than, you know, like with just what we do so often when we do get a microphone in our hand and uh, an audience to speak to, what we're allowed to offer and what we can say is often very um constricted yes. and you know it's all pro promotional yes and it's not necessarily untrue or a lie but it's often the case that things will be withheld because it's not the goal the goal isn't to speak truth and speak right. honestly did you enjoy shooting blank the answer is never going to be no i didn't right even if that's the truth yeah it's weird because now, you know, fans have access to us through social media and they want to be close to us and know about us. But then my question sometimes is like, do you? Do you really want to know <laughs> about our experience, what we're going through, you know? Yeah. I think it's still, I think 
audiences think they want to know us and learn about us, but they really want the Hollywood package. They want that soundbite interview that's like, I loved it and working on this movie was amazing and I got along with everybody, you know? Because mm-hmm. even sometimes, like, I've, I'm on hiatus right now from the show and I have, like, I got my nail extensions on, I got my hair extensions yes. on, got my lashes great. on, like, just doing all the things that... I can't normally do mm-hmm. when I'm working on a show for nine months in a different country and playing a kind of girl next door character. Right. And I had like um, done an Instagram story about it. Like, oh, finally get to do whatever I want to do. Like, you know, nails or whatever. And posted a photo of my nails or something. And I just remember someone had messaged me and they were like, you know, you seem so ungrateful for your job. And since you hate it and you can't do what you want to do. Oh. And it was just like, that's what I mean. Like, do you want the truth? Like, do you want the truth? Or do you want? Or do you want this packaged thing of like, yes, I love it so much, and every second of it is amazing, and I love never being able to change my hair, and like, <laughs> it's just not the truth. Right. But the question is, do people really want that? Right. And once you tell the truth, which is what I think, what every human wants to do, will people receive it? You know, mm. I, I think people love me, and they love my character, right? Or what they. Th- they think I am Iris West. Sure. They really identify me as Iris West. Mm. And I love that, but I am very much not like her, you know? Do you feel like your own identity as Candace gets yeah. swallowed up or disappears? Yeah. 100%. And I think the last year or so has been me trying to like separate those identities. Mm. I think for so long I was playing Iris West on the show and playing her off camera too in terms of like the lovable girl next door, wow. you know, ingenue. Yeah. Um, and just this good girl. And I am a good girl. Like, I am a really good person, I think. I think. I hope. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a complicated person. I'm multifaceted. And I, you know, I, I may not be everything that you think I am. You know, I curse. <laughs> You know, I, I, I like to drink sometimes. You Get know? it. I like to have a good time. I like wearing nail extensions. I like hip-hop music, you know. Um, You're a real person. I'm a real person, and I've, you know, I want to be able to be that fully. Right. And it, I think it's hard when people identify you as your character sometimes. What is the knock-on effect, do you think, for you in your own life? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, we just finished season seven we're going into season eight which you know will likely be my last I mean never say never but likely will be my last and I and I think last for the reason that we've been talking about is somewhat this need for me to separate myself from the flash and Iris West and this identity you know I've done that I've worn that for seven years and there's a part of me while I am so grateful and have so much love for her and the show and what it's done for my life it's it's a necessity for my my own Candace's own identity and my own self-growth to lay her to rest and move forward um and it's an interesting thing. I think that's why I, I mean, if we want to go into the psychology of it all, I think there it's, it's no surprise that even on social media, you see me being more myself, mm-hmm. you know, wearing the nails, wearing the hair, doing what I want to do because I'm, I'm trying so hard to break free from this identity that I've been attached to for so long. 
And it is true, it's a part of me, but it's just not my only truth. And I think a part of her needs to die so that I can live. It's a strange thing. It's like, obviously I, I auditioned for this job and took this job because A, I was interested in it. B, I needed to pay rent, uh-huh. you know? Um, and then all this stuff comes with it and you're like, you know, changing the way people view the superhero genre and creating spaces for women of color that have never had that. And it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of attention. It's, it comes with a lot. And it's also a very dangerous place to be in when you're one of the firsts and you're receiving so much backlash from it. Yeah. And there is no help. And, you know, now people understand it a little better and they understand how fans can be you know racist especially in um genre misogynistic all of that but at the time it was kind of like yeah that's how fans are but whatever Mm. whatever you know and i think even with the companies i was working with cw warner brothers i think that was their way of handling it right i think we know better now it's it's not okay to treat your talent that way to let them go through abuse and harassment but for me in 2014 there were no support systems no one was looking out for that it was just you know free range to get abused every single day yeah because it's happening regardless because it's happening regardless and there were no social media um protocols in, in place to protect me they just let all that stuff sit there yeah you know um and it, it's it's important to have people obviously people fulfilling that role but also people who understand all the nuances of that and and understand how to appreciate why it's important and the impact it can have for all different kinds of bullying harassment to different uh identities how it can be targeted etc and i've been speaking about that you know for the last seven years because that was my experience and i've just been saying it's just not enough to you know make me your lead female and say, look at us, we're so progressive, we checked the box. Because it's great, but it's like, you've put me in the ocean alone around sharks, you know? It's great to be in the ocean, but like, I could get eaten alive out here. So there has to be people in positions of power who understand my experience and understand the black experience, the black female experience, who can say, okay, she needs protection. And I think anytime you hire anyone who is a minority of any kind, you have to be prepared to protect them. Because in the real world, we are not protected. So just because you put us in a fancy Hollywood TV set or film set with the hair and makeup and you assume we're safe, we're not safe. We're not safe. It's just like if I get pulled over at 2 a.m. in Jackson, Mississippi by a white cop, you think he gives a shit? Mm. You think he gives a shit that I'm Candace Patton from The Flash? (laughs) You know, yeah, it doesn't matter. We still need protection because the world sees us in a certain way. And so when I step onto set and everyone working around me is white, everyone work, everyone working around me is white. You know, I'm not protected. I, I will never be protected. And it's not to say that these people have bad intentions, that all of them have bad intentions. Absolutely not. But they have blind spots. Yeah. You know, they have a lot of blind spots and and that can also you know contribute to my harm and so it's it's been a learning experience i'm sure for companies and corporations and productions um but yeah i mean to answer your question it, it was it's very hard being at the forefront of that because 
you experience so much abuse and trauma and you navigate it the best way you can. Can I ask you, you don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about, mm. um, but I just think it's important to ask, like how, how, how does that, how did that make you feel? Oh, terrible. I mean, if we're being very candid, I mean, the, the internet, the fan stuff, less so. Okay. Um, there's a part of me that is a pretty strong person who's like, I do not give a fuck. You can detach from me. that. Like, I don't give a fuck what Joe in Indiana <laughs> <laughs> fucking has no impact on my life. Cause like my check just cleared and it was a really big Joe. <laughs> I think I fucking care about your tweet. Get it. Um, but it's more so the day-to-day stuff that affects me. Like the protocols in place, the things that I see happening for my white counterpart, that's not happening to me. Seeing how I'm treated, you know, differently than other people, seeing how I'm not protected by the network and the studio, um, not promoted in the same way they would promote other people sometimes. Those were the things that not necessarily hurt me, but frustrated me. Was that earlier on, I'm assuming? Yeah. And it's more leveled out now? It's more leveled out now because there's, you know, conversations like, let's not like let that happen again. Like, I remember when I started the show and my publicist had to tell the Flash Instagram account to follow me. <gasps> You're kidding. I am fucking not lying. And it's like, how does that even happen? Like and everybody everyone else was followed? Yes, yes. And I remember like asking my publicist, I was like, do you think you could get the Flash account to follow me? <laughs> oh my God. It's not funny at Back all. Back when I cared about that shit, you know? Right, right, wanted right. Wanted to be included. And well, it, but that's it. It's not about wanting to be followed on social media. It's no. about wanting to be treated like an equal member of the lead cast of the show. Exactly. Of which you were and are. And it's like, there's so many of those things you can go, oh, that was an honest mistake. That was an honest, honest mistake. But I think mm-hmm. as a black person and a minority, mm-hmm. you know, any minority can attest that these things happen often. Yes. When you know it's happening to you, there's only so many yous it can happen to where there's a pattern. And it's not, even if it is not intentional, exactly, it speaks to something that's very purposeful. Yeah. And systematic. Yes. Um, and so, you know... I think what ended up happening is I unfortunately created, I think to survive it, I just cared less and less and less and less. Um, But it was hard. I mean, it was hard in in that aspect. It was hard, the onset aspect. And, you know, I wanted to leave the show as early as season two. Wow. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I remember being like, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it through. Like, I don't want to be here. I'm severely unhappy. I mean, I think a lot of the reason I stayed, A, I was under contract. <laughs> and then also I felt a huge responsibility because the fans, my fans loved this character. And it was such an iconic casting, such an iconic role. And I knew how much this meant to so many people that I felt a responsibility to stay in a space and a place that was probably, you know, very toxic for my mental health. And so I look back on that and I think, was that a good idea to stay? I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think there's any fruit to be gained by figuring out whether I should have stayed or, or have left. Mm. The point is I stayed. And, um, you know, in staying, in going through a lot of that adversity, I've learned so much. You know, I'm, I'm so much tougher. I'm so tough. And I don't, I, you know, 
I try to balance that with my vulnerability, but like there is a level of like, do not fuck with me mm-hmm. that exists in me. Like I'm not one to play with. Because of the experiences yeah. you've gone through. Go play in traffic, go play with your mama, but don't play with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I, I'm appreciative of that. I'm appreciative of that other character that sits inside me who is like, I'm not to be played with. Right. And that came from fighting my way through. Is there any sense of not wanting to have to be that tough? Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I wish I could have the experience that some of my counterparts had where it's just like, you know, yeah. easy. and Right. But I think, again, being a minority in this world, that is not the destiny for us, at least not now. And so we learn to be tough. I wish, you know, to get even deeper. Please. <laughs> Please. I think that's the black female experience of like not being able to be the soft, vulnerable creature that a lot of our white counterparts get to be. The world treats us, treats us in such a way that like it demands us have a thicker skin and be tough and quickly let people know, don't fuck with us. Like, do not fuck with me. I'm not to be played with. And I wish I didn't have to lead with that so often. Yeah. But I do because that's the way the world responds to me. Yeah. And just one of the downsides of that that you see everywhere is that becomes the stereotype for black women, specifically black women, specifically black women. And that is especially in our industry when it's all about how people perceive you and casting and what people are willing to accept and digest. You then only become digestible in a space of being strong, tough, almost overly so. You have to go through adversity for people to be able to understand any value of your journey. And not that there is anything wrong in that, but in just that, it's so minimizing. It it deletes so much of the value that we yeah. hold as just people. And again, while it's still too scary for a lot of people, companies, organizations to truly open up a safe space for people to share these things, not enough people know about the truth and so there isn't enough power to actually fuel progressive movement that properly supports people because we're still so concerned about an image of something shining as bright as possible Mm. even if it's completely disconnected from certain truths that are happening underneath it yeah i mean that's a hundred percent right i mean even on set it's like i've developed this tough character and exterior i think I may have, I may be perceived as hard and tough and like, but I have to be. And I don't, I wish I didn't have to be. I really do wish I didn't have to be. But I think it's just been so many years of, may I, can I, do you think we could? I know this is an inconvenience, but. I get tired of that shit. And then no one listens to you. They don't care. You're not a priority. Your needs are not important while you're doing all the things in the way that you're told you're supposed to and so the may eyes can eyes become hey i'm gonna need you to yeah hey i'm gonna get my lawyer on the phone my manager on the phone you can deal with them but i won't be doing this and this and that and so there's an evolution right and i wish i wanted to start at this place i love the may i please can i right same because that's naturally who i am Uh uh-huh but i've developed this so I'm going to need you to. Because you find that often that's the only way that the things that need to happen actually happen. That's the only way my needs are going to get met. Yeah. And I had to a long, long time ago, especially at my job, let go of needing to be liked in order to get what I needed. 
Like I had to decide, do you want to be liked or do you want to have an experience in the workplace where you feel safe, respected, understood, and heard? And so I had to just let go of, will these people like me? Do they want to have me over for brunch? Fuck that. I don't care anymore. (laughs) Because it's getting in the way. It's getting in the way. I'm going to need a hair person that I can do my hair. Right. You know. That's it. Bottom line. We have to talk about that. Well, that's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother thing. (laughs) So many things. We have a whole double episode on it. It's insane. (laughs) Part two. What sucks about what you just said is the fact that it has to be a choice. And it's only for certain people. It's only for certain people. And if you haven't filled in the blanks yet, just go back about five (laughs) minutes and it'll be easy. Only certain people have to make a choice between being liked Mm. and getting to have a, a valued and valuable experience at work and on yeah. set in our industry. Yeah. Not just our industry, but we're focusing on the entertainment industry. I know what you mean when you talk about being on a set like surrounded by people who don't understand you or what it's like to just be you or what the sensitivities might be to your identity. Because I, I had that um, recently. I was just finding time and time again, I guess we refer to them now as microaggressions. These things would happen that only I would be impacted by, even if they weren't directed at me. I understand it wasn't intentional. Again, not trying to cancel people. I'm just trying to share honest experiences so that we can all understand what it can be like and hopefully learn from it. I was stood there and the the other actor who was the director's friend, I think, was just asking him how he's been and this stuff and he was talking about some job and he asked him, oh, did you get this job? And the director just replied, oh no, no, then give it to me. You know what it's like, wrong color, wrong bits. I would be the only actor being asked uh, why I was on set and if I was a part of the production when I'm doing everything else everyone else is doing, when there's already security and police safeguarding the location (sighs) and I'm walking into my trailer being questioned as to my whereabouts, that's rude. By someone whose job it isn't even to do that, I was the only one experiencing that. Just a chain of events like that that just made me feel really uncomfortable. And it's not that I think these people are racist. It's not that I think they have an agenda or out to get me. It's just a fact that there are specific unnecessary things that I'm the only one experiencing that everybody else could be because they're doing all the same stuff I am, but they're not to try and share the sensitivity and offer a learning experience to people who don't have the life experience to understand, hey, things like this might make people like me uncomfortable, especially when when they look around, they have no one yep. to turn to who understands. Yep. They have no shoulder to cry on or lean on. Yeah. They have to just absorb it and also continue to do their job while carrying all of that yeah, and that, do a good that enough part, job. That part, Elliot. That part's hard and people forget that. Forget. You go through that microaggression and still have to go, action. Yeah. Especially for anyone, it's an impact, but especially when you're on camera and you have to sell a a reality that is completely separate from your own personal one. People don't understand enough or support enough. Oh boy. Yeah. I wonder, and not to cut you off, but I think so often about how much better my performances could have been over the last seven years if I wasn't in constant state of fight or flight and in trauma. It devastates me. And it's, it's a lot of the reason why I cannot watch my show. You can't watch. You don't I, watch things back. I don't watch. I haven't watched since season one. And I think for me to watch it, I can't separate what happened on set that day. You know, you have these memories of what happened and yeah. what you were struggling through to get even that scene out. So for me, it just it doesn't, it doesn't feel good to watch. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. Please continue. You cut me off whenever you want. That's <laughs> a rule. I've only... 
even just in starting this podcast because I realized how many conversations there were like this um, and how important they are. While the things that happen are never that surprising, how they make me feel always is. Mm -hmm. I always think it will be a little bit less devastating to hear. Mm. And it never is. Yeah. Because most of the people I've been talking to, I know on some level personally, not just through their work. And even outside of that, I just appreciate people are human beings and they have sensitivity and fragility and that's important to respect. And not only some people's because of the color of their skin or their gender or how we're willing to perceive them. And to know that someone who is so talented holds such an important space in what they do is so uh, iconic and influential to so many people, has millions of fans, you are having, you can't even watch the very thing that you want to be proud of mm. that is your job because there are just complications there and sensitivities that one, you have to go through, two, people don't understand, and three, you don't get enough of the support for that you should. None of them should be happening in the first place, but that sucks. And on top of that, to ever be in a position when you choose actively and constructively to share experiences like that, anyone that's then trying to load on you mm. again, I hope that conversations like this can start to pull the curtain back on revealing how unfair that is yeah. and how only certain people will be much more likely to go through it unnecessarily. And it sucks. So I'm, I'm you know, obviously I'm sorry that, I'm sorry that you've had those experiences disproportionately, way disproportionately. Yeah, it's funny, like the Black Lives Matter movement happened last summer and you get all the calls and texts from your white friends like, yep. you know, I'm so sorry, I'm thinking about you. And so many people who I've been friends with or made friends with on the show who've come to guest star have been like, I'm so sorry, we watched so many bad things happen to you and I didn't do anything, I didn't say anything and... So there's a level of awareness that things are, to, for some people, that things are unfair and weird. And still that, that fear of speaking up for other people. And I don't fault them. I mean, it's, I couldn't right. even speak up for myself. Right. You know, I've had one person speak up for me, you know, when, and you know this person. Yep. And God bless this person. I don't know what I would have done without them. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's hard for people to, see injustice or see something wrong happening and not fear for their own jobs, you know? Because I was in fear for my job. I, I felt like, you know, everyone makes you feel like you're so lucky and blessed to be in this position and you were given this job and it can be taken away from you and... You better like, be worthy of like, it. No, I'm good. Every action a moment. Right. I'm, I actually did that. I did that. Mm -hmm. Okay, did that audition, did that pilot. Mm-hmm was well received like I earned that mm -hmm. and but people would have you believe that you know you're so lucky to have it you're so lucky and like it can be taken away and you should be grateful and you can you can be grateful and should be grateful but right. like there's more to it than that. there's more to it than that all of that to say like you know that has to be a part of it too making it so that other people feel comfortable being allies you know I feel optimistic that there is no, the only way, the only way is forward. Like there is no going back. Mm -hmm. Bad behavior, abusive behavior, inappropriate behavior, 
will no longer be tolerated mm -hmm. in our industry. Yeah. Because it's 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 now such that people are like, no, no, I'm I'm tweeting about it, I'm talking about, it, I'm going on the podcast about it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like welcome. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> you know, there's much more at stake yeah. for people. People are exposing stuff and people are just not tolerating being abused anymore. Right. And this is such an industry that was about abuse. Right. And quiet abuse. Mm -hmm. And so I'm optimistic that that is changing. Yeah. You know, and that people will be forced to be on good behavior. Yes. And that hopefully we can be more welcoming and understanding of people wanting to help have a good impact and rehabilitate, like you said, yeah. where necessary. Yeah. Yeah. We have to give ourselves room to learn and grow. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to stay the same size, the same height, the same shape. We're never going to expand or exceed our limitations right now if totally. we don't have room to do that. Right. If you could come outside of yourself and go back to season one, Candace, mm -hmm. what advice would you give her? You earn this. You deserve to be here. You're way more powerful and valuable to these people than you think. And speak up. Like, I, I, I wish I would have spoken up more. Not publicly, but in my own private spaces where it mattered. I wish I had stood up for myself more. Mm. And in the moments of things happening. Yeah, I wish I'd been a little braver. I guess I say that not only to my younger self, but also to, you know, anybody who looks up to me or who is in a similar situation, you know, use my experience as a lesson. You know, you, you are all of us. We're way more powerful and valuable than we think we are. You deserve to be in the space that you're at. <laughs> you know, you are talented. You did earn it and speak up when you need to. asked the lady who was doing my hair like have you done black hair and she was like oh yeah i've done snoop dogg once oh and i was like my i'm in fucking trouble <laughs> oh no <laughs> no and i was just how how that's not yeah you know what's scary that i learned is for our industry uh specific understanding training qualifications in dealing with black hair yeah not necessary not necessary not necessary to be qualified on set at all which is insane insanity insanity anyone anyone who knows how to do whatever they can with typical straight european white hair which i'm not saying that's no training at all of course that's still a skill but that's all you need to know about to be able to do anyone's Any, hair on set insane Needs that's to the change has to change yeah because and this is why you, you should hire black hair talent because mm -hmm. they know how to do all of the hair. There she is. The white hair. You've the heard Asian it twice. hair. The black hair. Because you have to learn everything. You're not going to have an actor sitting in their chair, uncomfortable, worried about whether they can do their hair. Because most times, you know, if they're a good hair person and in that position of being a head mm -hmm. and they're black, mm -hmm. they've covered it all. Exactly. They've covered it all. Exactly. It's just not appropriate to remain actively insensitive to the specific needs of people. Standard. Here's my thing, though. The thing that bothers me the absolute most is, you know, it's one thing for a hair person, especially in a location like 
Vancouver, where there's not a lot of brown and black people for them to say, you know, I haven't had a lot of training. You know, I've done this. I've done that to be honest with about it. Right. And to not be like cocky and arrogant, like, oh, I know how to do it. I know. I know what I'm doing. You're being difficult. Like, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like, at least coming from a place of humility, like, can you can we work together? Can you show me? Do you like this? Is this like, what would you what products do you want me to, to get? There you go. So often it's like this arrogance of like, I know better than you. Which How is so unnecessary. You? Which is so, un- the attitude the is so unnecessary. Yeah. And when I talk to you and so many of my other black friends, like that's the attitude that seems the most prevalent yeah. by these heads of departments of just like, how dare you question like my ability and you know, I don't want to look like a fool so I'm going to puff my ego up about this. Yeah. Which makes the experience 10 times more traumatic for us. And to support your point, I have learned that there are so few non-white heads of department, especially in hair and in makeup. And it it's it sucks. There's a whole issue with unions and qualifying to be able to try and enter the union and to be eligible to be on set and... For more details and all that stuff, definitely listen to the Stacey Merriman episode. It's incredible. Um, but I had exactly the same experience. I, the head of hair, completely just very confident in her abilities to do whatever with my hair she <laughs> knew. Uh, I asked for a low fade and don't touch the top, and she shaved my head. Oh, I shuddered. Yeah. No, I had a horrible experience. She shaved my head and even that wasn't done well and the whole time it was being done i'm just being all i'm hearing is i know how to cut your hair don't worry i know how to do it i know how to do it i i've had this already before i specifically said to production a month ahead of time hi i'm gonna need someone who knows how to cut my hair is trained in this type of hair not just anyone who thinks that they can do it so when i went in to the chair to have it done, I assumed that this was the person they'd agreed to make sure they would have. Uh, I learned some other stuff about it. It wasn't necessarily production's fault. It mm. seemed more that this particular person, this mm. particular head of department was intent on not being told no. Yeah. And making space for someone who actually could do the yeah, job appropriately. They, that happens a lot. Ugh. That's awful. awful. I mean, for me, it might sound intense for a lot of people, but for me, it's hair abuse. Because when you understand the impact that it can have on you i've never had it that bad it was awful not just because it wasn't what i asked for not just because it wasn't done well but because it completely changed me the way i look especially as someone whose work is on camera Mm. and removed all of my power to do anything about it when all your hair gets shaved off that's it yeah you can't do anything about that you're stuck with what someone has decided to give you yeah not only that it's then going to be filmed and distributed for millions of people for the rest of time yeah. for you to be seen in a way that you never intended or wanted to be portrayed. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about dealing with microaggressions on set and then having to go, you know, on set and action and be this full character mm-hmm. after you've experienced some bullshit. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with hair. It's, it's hard going back to your trailer knowing you look fucking crazy. <laughs> knowing you look like your mama, your cousin's gonna, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> call yeah. you and ask what the hell happened to your head. And then to go and perform and try and be your best mm-hmm. and not really feel like you can say anything about it because then you're difficult. You're ungrateful. You're causing again. problems. 
it's all of these things you're constantly trying to worry about and juggle and navigate when yeah. you shouldn't have to. And the thing is, most of the time, you are not causing problems. You are suffering problems and trying to address them. That part. No one sees it that Say way. Say it again. No one understands that we're suffering from the problems, not causing them. We're just trying to bring them to people's attention. That's exactly but right. It makes people uncomfortable a lot of the time. And I think people focus on their own discomfort yes. rather than the issue. Yes. And their discomfort is the thing that they put their energy into pushing away. Right. So they just ignore anything that makes them feel that way. Right. Most of the time, unfortunately. It is, I think it's it's on an upward trend right now. Yeah. M- may change at times, but it's important to understand no one is asking for anything special. No one, nothing we're talking about is us asking for anything above other people. Right. This is it. All of this passion and these, I mean, frankly, traumatic experiences to one degree or another are all just striving to be on equal footing with everyone else around us. Yeah. That's when I feel comfortable like everyone else gets to so I can do my job well. Yeah. Post uh, Black Lives Matter last summer, you know, there's there was like a push to change the hair and makeup situation in Vancouver where it's just notoriously a problematic place for people of color to go and work and have their hair and makeup done properly Mm -hmm. and feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's this Jamaican barber out there who smartly has this like van that he works out of. And so he can go from set to set and set. And so he does like a lot of the black guys hairs on the DC shows and probably all (laughs) of the shows. Um, And so he's just started doing that within this last year, working on a lot of the guys and, you know, I hear other people in the department being like, oh, he's so expensive and he overcharges. And I was like, that's your fault. Mm-hmm. That's your fault because you're not, you don't know how to do black hair. Yep. He's taking advantage. And rightfully so. Good on you, black man. Yes. You're taking advantage of a blind spot mm-hmm. that you guys have had for decades. And, not and you've been told about to. it yep. for decades and no one took the opportunity to repair that. Mm-hmm. And he is primed to come in there and say, oh, I know how to do black hair. Exactly. And I'll charge you an absurd amount to do it because you have no one else to do it. And you're not employing anyone else or looking for anyone, anyone else, else to do it. And on top of that, this may be... If you connect with that point, maybe this might be a little bit of a stretch for you, but it's always annoyed me that even just in hair, I always feel like if you're not white, you have to do more work yourself that you don't get acknowledged for. Like we have to, there's barely been any job that I have not had to take extra time out of my personal life. A thousand percent. To go and seek someone out who... Go to a salon. Exactly. Go and spend the time to do that. Travel blow dry there. my own hair before I go into set because will they know how to blow... Just flat iron it before I go to set because do they know how to flat iron my hair? All those things. Yeah, like what is this? We're always spending our own free time prepping to go to work. And then you see, you know, the white girls come in just like, wet hair. Good morning. Sorry, I'm 20 minutes late. Oh, we'll, we'll just put it together. Yeah. And, and nothing <laughs> against those people personally, nothing. but it frustrates me. It's, Even as a guy, because I know like... I mean, they have it as it should be for everyone. They can just come in and not worry. Yeah. Be half asleep, listen to something, talking to someone, focus on their lines, do whatever, and know that exactly. all their shits can get taken care of. When you're not that identity, you don't have that time luxury. You don't have that freedom. You don't have the ability to not worry. You have to keep an eye on everything while something's happening because the chances of having She'll someone look up there and 
oh, a whole mess will be going your on. Your head will be shaved. It go- <laughs> gone. Your, your hair's gone. It was gone. <laughs> Honey. Because to the point, I, I literally, I, I looked once and then I closed my eyes because I realized what was happening. And I again, can't. Because I, this fear of being seen as the problem right. or or being bold, or especially on a show that wasn't mine as right. a guest too. And I think that is something we have to pay more attention to as well. People do not feel empowered guesting on a show coming on for a date let alone not feeling empowered on something where you're a regular and it's your show yeah i try to guests on our show try to make them feel very comfortable and say like this is your space if you don't like something speak up like if you don't like your hair Mm. i will protect you like Mm. whatever it you know like you're a guest because we need our show needs you that's right our show needs you to be continue to be successful or you wouldn't be here so you being happy is important to me yeah so if there's anything that's not right, let me know if you don't feel comfortable saying mm-hmm. it. That's kind of how I, because I've been a guest, we've all been guests. And exactly. I'm sure when you have your next like series regular role, you'll want to extend I've, I've always that done the courtesy. same thing. Yeah. yeah. You treat people on a basic respect level, yeah. people coming to work to do their jobs. Everyone is the same. Yeah. Everyone deserves the same level of, of being able to feel comfortable yeah. and having the tools to do their jobs to the best of their ability. And it, it, it does it does suck to feel not comfortable enough to be able to speak up about things like that. Yeah. You know, I, I love, I love the department that works on our show and like such wonderful people. But mm. even to this day, just from my own trauma, a trauma response, yeah. I, I keep hair tools in my trailer. I keep a full set of makeup in my trailer just in case I will never, I will be 85 on some movie of the week mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever's the thing. <laughs> And I will carry my whole set of stuff. Yeah. Because I, I think it's just a trauma response to being in this industry and knowing that there's a possibility that you will not be taken care of. So I, I never don't have that, you know, flat iron mm-hmm. and concealer on deck. And I want my white counterparts to have that experience. Like, I'm yeah, happy for them exactly. that they exactly. get to experience that level of, like, not having to worry. Right. Having their specific they needs catered for. I do too. Mm-hmm. I also deserve that. Is yeah. all, you know, I think we're trying to get at here. The end product is mostly what people will see, especially audiences, especially probably most of you listening to this now. All you will really be able to connect to is the finished product that gets polished and given to you. That's right. And of course, that's understandable. There is so much that yeah. goes on up to that point do you know how the sausage is being made exactly is it organic right is it fda (laughs) you can stick it in your mouth it might taste good but do you know what you're eating right so often we don't know what we're eating when it comes to entertainment in general and i think a lot of people think it doesn't matter and i'm telling you when you pay attention maybe to you it's just about the taste maybe it's just about having a fun thing to look out for half an hour an hour but when you get to experience the finished product of something where attention has been paid to the details and respect has been paid and value has been paid to every single ingredient, the difference is incomparable. Yeah. It's, it's why I advocate for the truth that entertainment is education if we allow it to be. Yeah. Every choice that we make within entertainment has an educational and influential impact on an audience consciously or subconsciously that's a responsibility that we need to be mindful of on all levels it can still be fun it can still be entertaining but we have to appreciate it's going to have an impact 
I think we're moving towards that, and especially this younger generation. Mm-hmm. They want to know how the sausage is made. You right. know, they want to know is this vegan, cruelty mm-hmm. free? Yes, please. All those things they want to know. You know, that sounds like a great vi- sausage to me. <laughs> <laughs> and even with their entertainment, I think they're more invested in what's the backstory here. Like, you know, are there black writers in that writers' room? Why is this character, this black character, saying weird shit that doesn't make sense? You know. What was your experience with that? With with writing in ge- like in your career in general? Writers' room, writers' rooms. Yeah. Do, do you times. often feel? Obviously, the language is important. You know how you, how much you can connect to a character. A lot of that is down to the language that you're given to work with. And while there's often room for some kind of collaboration, and you know you can adjust something here and there, for the most part, the body of your character's voice is given to you by writers as a black actor as an actor holding that space on a show that you are you know leading uh, has that ever been a a challenge or have there been challenges within that that you found oh god yes i mean jesse and i've talked about this you know even on our show i feel like sometimes not sometimes a lot of times you know i was put in to play this white person, but that this character wasn't tailored to a black woman because I'm playing her and Mm -hmm. I come with blackness and a black experience. And as much as I can be, you know, the heart of the flash and his, the love of his life and this, you know, tenacious reporter and super smart woman, I'm, I'm different because I'm black and I, that comes with some things. Mm -hmm. And so we would say things even about like, you know, Joe's house, the house where Iris grew up in, it didn't feel right. You know, we, I think there was an effort too. So there was like all this, these little African figures everywhere, like little giraffes and stuff. You know how, you know, a white person gets in and decorates a set (laughs) for a black family. And me and Jesse would say all the time, we would make fun of it and we'd be like, only white people do this. Black people do not put giraffes <laughs> and monkeys in their like house. Masks hanging up the on mask, the wall. We don't do that. You know, these little things, like even yeah. the food, like I would talk about this character, which we've never seen, but Grandma Esther was her name, or Aunt Esther. And I would say, you know, Aunt Esther's tuna casserole. One time it was Aunt Esther's uh, sushi rito. Oh. Which... I had to Google what the fuck a sushi burrito was. <laughs> I've never heard that. But it's like word, a sushi what? burrito. And I was like, what black auntie or grandma is passing down <laughs> a sushi burrito recipe? On what planet? You know, I just, I think there's value added. I think there's a lot of value added when you acknowledge. Mm. I wish there was an acknowledgement in our show more often that I am a black woman. Yes. That Barry Allen has married a black woman. And that means some shit. And that means some shit. Anyone in an interracial relationship with a black woman knows it's a little bit different. Boom, my parents. You know? Yeah, all about it. And so it's cute, and I know we don't get political in our show, but I think it's a, it, it could, it may, may be, in hindsight, a misstep to have not acknowledged the blackness that exists on our show. And there is so much blackness. Yeah. You know, Keenan, Jesse, mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. all of these characters that we've had, Danny Nicolette, like, and just that none of them get acknowledged as black people. And I think often because the people who are in the power positions to do that, quite frankly, 
don't know how and feel intimidated by that maybe mm-hmm. because it's a challenge that they don't understand from you know my experience uh, looking into these situations from the outside it doesn't feel like there's often enough someone there who's comfortable enough to get it where it doesn't have to it's still an active choice but it's not a challenge it's just something that makes sense to do. Yeah. So you allow the proper room for it rather than people, it being a task people have to figure out. Right. It's like, if you have to figure it out, it's already not going great. That part. Yeah. And <laughs> how can you, how can you, again, educate an audience by showing them something authentic when you don't have an authentic connection to what it is you're trying to do in the first place? It's crazy to me. It's like if we went to, you know, Japan, mm. you and I, and we were going to produce and direct a TV show about a Japanese so family. Oh, right. Never and have mind. the audacity to think yep. that we don't need anyone, uh, any any Japanese people in our writer's room or in the hair and makeup department or just supervising the scripts to kind of let us know what we've... I mean, we shouldn't be doing that in the first place. No, we probably in, shouldn't be helming that in the first place. It's That's insane. insane. Yeah. But even if we had the audacity to helm a project like that, mm-hmm. to then not have anyone of Japanese descent in any of the rooms or departments helping us see our, our blind spot. I mean, to me, if you think about it in that framework, it's insanity. It really is. It's insanity. And yet it's reality so often. Yep. And so unfortunately it just, it becomes passable because it passes. Yeah. Way too often. And so many of our stories have been told through a white lens. <sighs> Yeah, it deserves a sigh. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a part of it and, and collaborating, but not allowing space for an authentic route wherever you have the opportunity is not the way to go, people. And again, it goes back to this idea. It's, not, you, it's no longer organic meat. Right. It's no longer organic sausage. Mm-hmm. It just, we love a sausage. You know, we love a sausage. It sausage. <laughs> So what we didn't record, we just missed, is I just asked you how you are, and you immediately said, terrible. Terrible! (laughs) Which shocked me! Um, And now our recording sorted, so we're all back again. That's what you were talking about. What do you you mean? You're terrible. to be fair, it was terrible. I'm coming out of a space of darkness and terribleness and just anxiety and depression um, and moving into this, like, really enlightened place in my life where I feel very hopeful and excited about, you know, the next chapter and much more social than I've been and just excited and happy and really feeling alive in a way that I haven't felt in a long time. Wow. I think it was really hard for me. The pandemic, not so much the pandemic, but like having to go back to work during a pandemic Oh, in yeah. a space and a place that is triggering for me already and being essentially confined there, you know, with the quarantine and the border shut down, I couldn't go home. And I was used to getting on a flight every week. Mm. You know, I'd work for three or four days, get on a flight, come home. Whenever I wasn't working, I was on a plane and I tried to work with production where, you know, we'd group all of my stuff together so that I could leave Canada and go home. Right. Because that's what made me happy and that's what, how I was able to sustain doing this thing. Um, 
And I think when that was removed and I was just kind of stuck in Vancouver, I was, my relationships were suffering, my mental health was suffering, my creativity, all of that just kind of went on a steady, 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 steady decline. And it got bad. It got really bad. And um, I think, A, just the season ending, getting to come home, see my nieces, my family, hug people again, get vaccinated. Mm -hmm be around people who are vaccinated, hug them, feel safe again, be able to go out and see my, you know, just do things we used to do. I think all of that has contributed to, you know, a positive increase in my, in my mental health. But I'm, it just brought me to a place where I have changed the way I think about a lot of things, especially with my happiness and, realizing you know I think I have I have what like a month and a half before I have to go back to work and so I have to make a choice every morning to get up get out of bed go see my friends do things that I love go to the beach like I I'm so proactive in my happiness because I realize what it's like when it's taken away and when I don't have access to the things that I love and need and so I'm using this time to kind of like just be actionary in my happiness which I've never done before I've always waited for it to come to me and it just doesn't work that way at least not for me you Mm. know I think and we were saying earlier I've realized it's so easy for me to lean into sadness and depression and I don't want to minimize anyone's mental health so I want to be very clear in saying this is my experience and my experience only and everyone's you know, battle with depression and the way they view it and experience it is very, 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 very different. But for me, I've realized that it's easier for me to lean into sadness because it doesn't require any work. You know, it's like the wave is coming for you and you're just like, oh, fuck it, let it take me. I don't care. Yeah. That's such a passive way of dealing with sadness and grief. That feels easier. It feels easier. It just doesn't require a lot of and get up get up and go and I get it when you're in that space it's so hard yeah but what I'm learning and trying to retrain my mind to understand is that even happy people work to be happy it is a daily effort to choose happiness Mm. and to choose to get out of bed and to choose to call the friend and to choose to go to coffee and to choose to go on that hike and I while I think I knew that I, I don't think I, it was in my bones in a way that it is now. How do you maintain that when you're in an environment that is not conducive? Oh, baby, that's, that'll be the test. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's easier for, now, for me now because I have my friends and my family and sunshine and LA and the beach and all the places that I love. But I'm trying to learn that lesson now and to take it with me that it won't always be this way and that I will have to every day make a choice no matter what experience I'm having. Um, And that's a hard thing for someone like me, you know. I think I just reached such a level of deepness being down and so many things were happening one after the other that I was just taking hit after hit after hit after, after hit. Things, you know, I won't go into, but... I don't know. There's something about just being so down that you have no place else to go but up <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah. I just something in my nervous system was like, get the fuck up. Mm. 
it's enough. Survival time. You've cried enough. You know, you've suffered enough. Get the fuck up. So whatever that voice is in me that came, I'm, I don't know, I'm grateful for it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And mental health is real. You know, it's such a real thing. And, you know, I, I want to stress to people that it should be your priority. I don't care if you're in college or you're in high school or you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or, you know, an actress on a TV show. We all struggle with life. And some, some things are more severe for others, but we all have trauma responses and it's our responsibility to navigate that and heal from that. It's a responsibility, yeah. you know? And to support each other in that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've taken steps to kind of, you know, take responsibility for the trauma that's happened to me and say, it's unfair. I didn't like it. I don't like that I was treated that way, but what am I going to do about it now? Mm. Because I'm tired of, you know, passively letting these things happen to me and not having a say about, you know, what I choose to do about it. Yeah. It's almost like the path of least resistance ends up actually becoming the most exhausting. That part. Yeah. Because <laughs> it keeps on coming. It keeps stop. on coming. It's because that's life. Yeah. And it will find you. It will find you. So it's about, you know, having the tools to withstand it when it comes. Man, and you've built up a little toolbox. A toolbox. Which I love, and I also hate that you have had to. Yeah. Um, being black in the world. Being black in the world. Yes, bitch! Yeah! <laughs> uh, okay, vocal. Ready! Okay, vocal. We're ready. I feel great about everything that we've talked about. I'm so glad I did this. You know, yeah. I don't talk about a lot of things. I don't share my opinion publicly on a lot of things. And I really, I know that about you. And I, I as someone who's the same, I appreciate that it's, that's such a choice, such an effort and such yeah. a, an intimidating thing to do. You just have nothing but value to offer. Like, it's incredible talking to you. You're so inspiring. Thank you for being on the open up. We're all our resources and wells of information based on our own human experience. And that's why I think it is so important that we all continue to find our voice and speak up. And that is the end of our very first Open Up episode with the wonderful Candice Patton. And I want to thank her so much for opening up so generously. If you don't follow her already, you can on the gram. She is at Candice Patton. Please go and show her some love and some support. And also let us know your reaction to what you heard. Did you learn something? Did something shock you? We are at the Open Up Pod on the gram and on TikTok. And you can email us if you want to do that at hello at theopenuppodcast.com. The whole point of the podcast really is to start and be a part of important conversations about the things that you're hearing. And so we do really want to hear from you. Thank you so much to our team of diverse artists at the Open Up family who have helped bring the podcast to you. have been working so hard. Finally, we get to thank you. Our artwork is from Alec Liu. Our theme music is from Adsum. And our additional music is from Jay Abhol. Please go and check them out. Give them a follow. Their tags will be in the description. I have been Elliot Knight, your host, mixer, and editor. And thank you, of course, to Gemma at Studio Hendrix for presenting the Open Up podcast. 
And finally, you can help the podcast spread the word by opening up about what you heard. And if you want to keep the show alive, fill up those stars to number five. And don't forget to leave us a review because we'd love to hear from you. It's pretty good. Thank you so much for being here again. It really does mean the most to us that you joined us for the open up and for these really important conversations. Thank you for being a part of it. Please keep it going. And we'll see you again next time for another open up. Oh, you're an inspiration. What? What are you talking what about? What are you talking are you about? This microphone? I, I, I told you I have not <laughs> had something this large in my hands for a long time. And... <laughs>